0: Hi, my name is Kirk Hamilton, your host of the Staying Healthy Today Show. This is a show where we are bring you key experts in the fields of nutrition, prevention, integrative and lifestyle medicine, review the medical literature, and we review case studies. Today's show topic is, how do you create a successful heart disease reversal program that anyone can do? Our guest today is Dr. Caldwell B. Esselton Jr., former Army surgeon in Vietnam and Bronze Star recipient gold medal winner in rowing in the 1956 Olympics, internationally recognized as a breast cancer and endocrine surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, and for the last three decades has shown that you can not only prevent, but reverse heart disease by a whole food, low fat, plant-based diet. He's also the author of Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and a recent article of his many articles is A Way to Prevent CAD, in the Journal of Family Practice, July 14th. So welcome Dr. Esselton, thanks for coming on the show today. Kirk, my pleasure. So just give a little brief review of how you got here and and your educational background. That'd be great.
1: I did my undergraduate work at Yale and my medical school at Western Reserve University School of Medicine in Cleveland. And I took my uh, internship and most of my residency at the Cleveland Clinic except for a six-month period at St. George's Hospital in uh, London, England. And then after I finished the training, I went for two years in the Army, first year at Fort Bragg, second year as a combat surgeon in Vietnam. Then uh, I was asked to join the staff at the Cleveland Clinic, and by the late 1970s, I was getting a little bit disillusioned with the fact that for no matter how many women I was doing breast surgery, I was doing absolutely nothing for the next unsuspecting victim, which led to a bit of global research on my part, and it was quite striking to find that there were cultures where breast cancer was 30 to 40 times less frequent than in the United States. And, uh, in, for instance, if you looked at rural Japan in the 1950s, breast cancer was very infrequently identified, and yet as soon as Japanese women would migrate to the United States by the second and third generation, they now had the same rate of breast cancer is their caucasian counterpart but perhaps even more compelling was uh, cancer of the prostate in the entire nation of japan in 1958 how many autopsy proven deaths were there from cancer of the prostate in the entire nation 18 by 1978 20 years later they were up to 137 which still pales in comparison with the 28,000 who will die this year in this country but somewhere along the line I just felt there was more bang for the buck if we could look at the leading killer of women and men in Western civilization because it was quite striking in this global review that there were multiple cultures where cardiovascular disease was virtually non-existent, And these were cultures that were thriving basically on uh, whole food plant-based nutrition without oil, such as the Okinawans. Uh, the the Papua Highlanders, the rural Chinese, Central Africa, and the Tarahumara Indians in northern Mexico. So, with that in mind, I uh, asked our Department of Cardiology to send me about 24 patients who were seriously ill with coronary disease, and uh, that's why I wanted to see if I could have the meat, (coughs) whole food, plant-based nutrition.
0: So, the aha moment for you was was when? The study of research around the world? That
1: well, the aha moment was certainly the fact that here was this here was this disease about which Europe and the United States had built a health a billion dollar health care industry around cardiovascular disease, which is virtually non-existent in over half of the planet. And so it was pretty provocative and pretty exciting to think about maybe we could get these patients who were so sick with heart disease to simply eat like these cultures where the disease was non-existent.
0: Was there any other professionals or researchers that influenced you to look at this kind of approach? At that point, I was
1: really uh, flying kind of blind. I had read uh, I had read John McDougal's The McDougal Plan in 1983, which is about a year before. I think that helped as a little spur under the saddle, yes.
0: So, taking that... You took this group of patients, this small group of patients. What? How did you get them started? How did you say, we're going to go jump on this kind well, of diet? Well,
1: that was my, uh, I was quite, yeah, that's an excellent point. I was really uh, concerned that the rock upon which this study would be most likely to flounder would be lack of patient compliance in this uh, first uh, small group. And uh, therefore, uh, I decided to use the same mantra for these patients, which I had been using Uh, for years with my cancer patients which was something I had learned from a wonderful west coast surgeon years ago by the name of Bert Dunphy and Bert used to say that patients with cancer are not afraid to suffer patients with cancer are not afraid to die but patients with cancer are afraid of being abandoned by their family or their physician. so for the first five years of the study I saw every patient in my office every two weeks went over every morsel they ate check their cholesterol, weight, and blood pressure. Then at the end of five years, uh, I got a little bit more courageous, and I I stretched it out to once a month. And then by the end of the decade, uh, they were pretty well on autopilot now, and I was able to stretch it out to quarterly, so that by the time we had our 12-year study, we had had a pretty long follow-up.
0: So it's safe to say that when you're getting people started on this type of lifestyle change, that there needs to be some intensive education not just uh, not just even an hour office is it
1: let me just uh, switch gears a little bit uh, because to tell you uh, what has happened since then now after i retired from surgery and this since the research has sort of taken wings when we found that we could actually halt and reverse this disease uh i was not about to really uh, let this go and uh, so I've continued, but in the situation I'm in now as the uh, working at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute, since about 85% of the patients come from outside the state of Ohio, they cannot come to Cleveland for days at a time. Therefore, about 25 years ago, we devised a very powerful single day, five and a half hour intensive counseling seminar where these patients are going to learn all about what they have done to create this disease and precisely how they will be empowered as the locus of control to halt and reverse this disease.
0: So this is your five-hour, the workshop that I went to. You do it monthly at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Center. We give everybody a
1: very hefty notebook. Well, this is key because I think in that notebook is going to be a copy of every PowerPoint that I use during the seminar, plus there's going to be uh, several of our scientific articles and a 44-page handout with many additional recipes that will add to the 240 in the two volumes that we provide them with. Plus, there's a marvelous hour and a quarter from a woman who's had 30 <laughs> years' experience acquiring and preparing plant-based foods, dealing with reading ingredients, travel, in restaurants. And then everybody gets a DVD of the entire seminar that I filmed from an earlier one. So if they go home and get forgetful or rusty, they can flip this on, get themselves back up to speed. And then I think one of the most important things we do We have always three local or regional participants who have had a previously successful experience, share their story with those in attendance who are able then to say to themselves, listen, if he or she can do this, I can do this. And then we have a delightful plant-based lunch and a chance to answer questions. And I should say that we limit this usually to no no more than 10 or 12 participants. Always, always, always with their spouse or significant other in attendance who comes for free. And then we stay in touch as necessary, either through email or phone call.
0: Do you know, in fact, I've interviewed two of those people, Patricia Slombarski and John McNamara, who were two of your clients, and I, I have the podcast, and actually the way I do it with my patients, I go, if you listen to these people, they're worse off than you, and if they can do it, you can do it. So I, I use it in that way, so their their stories live on. So if you can, just review the science part of your two initial, well, your two studies, the early group and what happened to them, and then the group that you just studied in the Journal of Family Practice, what, what you found out from them as far as success?
1: Yeah, well, the, it, there are several interesting things that happened. In the initial group, I mean, I was sort of flying blind, and the first uh, evidence that we had that food and absolutely food alone could absolutely halt and reverse this disease with a gentleman who had a claudication in his right calf. When we first started seeing him, he was having to stop five times crossing the skyway to my office. At that time, we got his pulse volume over in the vascular lab, and it was markedly diminished, as you'd expect. But I was so focused on his heart, I totally forgot about his leg. And 11 months into the program, he said, You know, Dr. Esselstyn, when I first started seeing you, I was having to stop five times crossing the skyway. Well. In the last month, it got to be four times, and it was three, two, one, zero. So we said, well, Don, that's great, but let's get another pulse volume at the vascular lab. And lo and behold, it had doubled. So here we had, right off the bat, rock-solid science that absolutely we could, with food and food alone, reverse this disease. Now, you're going to say somebody will say something, well, wait a minute, what about the statin drug? Well, I'll just share with you. This was 1986. There were no statin drugs available then. And we've had this occur happen multiple times since then in patients who come to us who simply because they have such a, a reaction to statins, they simply can't take them. But in no way are they precluded from enjoying these same benefits. So that not only did we find out we could stop the disease, but we found angiographically there are a number of patients who had striking Evidence of uh, disease reversal so that's what sort of inspired us to go on to this second study.
0: So the first people, how many of those with group of 25 stayed with the program for 10, 20 years? Well, I, I really
1: confess that I really followed them closely up to twelve years and at that point we had the way it developed was this: I had so, so little money for this study. Of the original twenty four I knew within the first three months that there were six guys and they were nice nice guys but they just <laughs> they just didn't didn't get it so they became kind of a quasi control group so over the next 12 years i had returned them fully to their expert cardiologist and i would just peek in to see how they were doing and those six two died and the other four had to have another bypass on the other hand the eight, the 18 who re- remained with us in the program We wanted to know how many cardiovascular events of worsening disease they had had in the eight years prior to coming into our study while in the hands of expert cardiologists, and they sustained 49 cardiac events of worsening disease. However, once they came into our study, 17 of these 18 had no further cardiac events over 12 years. We did have one little sheep who (laughs) wandered from the flock got into the uh, <laughs> lamb chops, french fries, and glazed donuts, and he had more angina and ended up with a bypass, but he's back with a flock, but he certainly proves the point that I'm sharing with you today.
0: So that's over a de- more than a decade. How about the group, the larger group, because so the criticism was you didn't do a big enough group, so you got 198 patients in this, this next yeah. study, and then 177 yeah. of them stayed in the program yeah. for 3.7 years, and tell us what happened with that group, because that was almost a four-year period. That was kind
1: of interesting. We were curious whether this venue were a member now, with the original group I was seeing them every two weeks. But I was, you know, just seeing for fifteen or t- uh, ten or fifteen minutes, whatever it would require. But this group that comes from California to see us or Texas or Florida, I only I only get one crack at them. And so I wanna spend a moment, if we've got it, a sure. on how I think on how I think I throw the hook on this group. Fortunately, Almost everybody uh, who applies to this uh, intensive counseling seminar uh, has had a chance to either see the movie Folks Over Knives or they've read our book or gone to our website. And so by the time they picked up the phone to call us, they're pretty uh, interested in what's going on. So, and I should also mention that my secretary will give me a list of the 10 or 12 participants 10 days beforehand so that I have an opportunity to call. Every one of these patients, myself personally, before they ever come to Cleveland, so I can get my arms around their story, and at the same time they'll have an opportunity to ask questions of me. Because I think if you're going to get lifestyle change, you must show a patient respect, and the only way that I really know to do that is to give them our time. So, when coming back to your uh, question about uh, how did how did these um, uh, people do well, ninety percent actually 89.3, close to 90% were adherent to the method. And when we followed them up, they, we found that they were, uh, it was very interesting to see the fact that when we looked at major cardiac events, heart attack, stroke, and death, there was one. One in that group, 177. That means that 99.4% were free of any further uh, cardiac events during the 3.75 years of follow-up. Now, the 21 patients who were not adherent, 62% of those had further cardi- major cardiac events.
0: Now, so all those people that went through that study, did they go through your um, monthly workshop, or were they? Uh, how were they educated?
1: That is the key. They Absolutely every one of those went through the, the, uh, the five-hour program Got that I am sharing with you. And where I, where I throw the hook, quite frankly, I think is as follows. I try to take absolutely every bit of mystery uh, out of this disease because I think all experts would agree that where this disease has its inception and its onset is when we progressively injure the life jacket and the guardian of our blood vessel with that delicate innermost lining, the endothelium, which manufactures the absolute magic molecule of gas, nitric oxide, which is a great, the great salvation of all of our... Uh, blood vessels. And And I specifically say to these patients, look, here are the functions of nitric oxide which are so fundamental and important. One, nitric oxide keeps all the cellular elements in our bloodstream flowing smoothly like Teflon rather than Velcro. No stickiness. Number two, it's the strongest blood vessel dilator in the body. You climb stairs, the arteries to your heart, the arteries to your legs, they widen, they dilate. That's nitric oxide. Number three, Nitric oxide prevents the wall of the artery from becoming thickened, stiff, or inflamed, protects you from high blood pressure or hypertension. And now number four, this is the absolute key. A normal, safe, adequate amount of nitric oxide will protect you from ever developing blockages or plaques. So literally, everybody on the planet who has cardiovascular disease has their disease because they have so sufficiently trashed compromised and injured the capacity of their endothelial cell to make nitric oxide they don't have enough to protect themselves and then i will keep hammering that for at least an hour (laughs) and then, then we'll say i'll look at them and say now listen is there anybody here who doesn't yet understand how they develop their disease and no i got that good now how about this is there anybody here who would dare leave this bit of knowledge that you've got now and go out on your wife's anniversary and say, "Sweetheart, let's go celebrate your aniver- our anniversary." I'll go and d- destroy a few more endothelial cells. Nonsense! <laughs> when that's uh, that's never going to happen. And I think when you put it in that context, the patients almost rejoice with tears because they suddenly realize that all the stents and all the drugs and all the bypasses they have are worthless because they don't treat any of the symptoms, anything but the symptoms of this disease. They don't treat the causation, and you are you are empowering these people with the knowledge of the causation of their illness. Once they stop eating any food that is going to further injure their endothelial cells, they recover, make enough nitric oxide, the disease is halted and often reversed.
0: So I just want to make it clear before I move on to the actual specifics of the diet that you tell them, but I just want to be clear. In that study in the Journal of Family Practice, all those people went through your um, five-hour intensive workshop. Yeah, and that's yes. it. And that's it. I mean, that's it. Wow.
1: Well, no, no. I I should share. There a number of them will will call. Some of them after they get right. their lipid profile will call. Some of them will call when they've had a little bit of a wrestling match with their with their physician. They just want to be sure. But some of them will call. They want to be reassured. Some will call because they want to know how to do the follow-up. How do they know they're really is their disease regressing or is it improving and so forth? So yes, I've had contact with them. But they've never come back to Cleveland again. No. Wow,
0: that's a, that's that's
1: amazing. So, how did you do the follow up
0: to to know that they didn't have events or reduction well, of events? Well,
1: I had to. I, I had to. It took me about a year and a half, and I personally called every patient, oh. and I wanted to be sure I understood whether they were still following it, whether they'd had any major cardiac events, and it was not. It was not that difficult because as soon as I would said, "This is Doctor Esselson," they. would Either the reaction was, <laughs> hey, you'd be proud of me. Listen, I, I'm absolutely following this to a T, although I couldn't swear that once in a great while, maybe I'm at a restaurant, maybe somebody snuck in a little oil that I didn't know about. <laughs> that, that I accept. On the other hand, those that said, you know, Dr. Esselstyn, I tried it for a month, but my God, that, that is so difficult. It was so difficult. It was so extreme. I, really, I just uh, couldn't follow it. And so that's, that was pretty clear.
0: But that was a pretty small percentage, no?
1: Yeah, it was only, when you think about it, it was close to 89.3, almost 90% who were were adherent. That was only 10% who weren't.
0: Well, then obviously, so that's a real key point of any program is that you actually delivered the message in a five-hour period. I'm not saying there's not a little extra, but you delivered the whole... Emphasis in that five-hour period and people I mean a high percentage 177 out of 198 or 9 stuck with it That's 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 remarkable to me So let's get into what this diet is and let's start off with the most controversial part because I've I've been in a lecture with you You're talking to four or five hundred doctors and all of a sudden you turn around and you uh yell at a, You you speak at a high volume no oil <laughs> and um so that is one of the most controversial areas, because there are still some people, well, there's obviously cultures around the world that live a long time that use oil in their cooking, but you are absolutely dead set against adding any additional oil to the food. So can you please elaborate on that?
1: First of all, I, yes, that is that is correct. I feel very strongly about that, as does uh, my good friend Colin Campbell, Neil Barnard, and... Uh, really so also does Hans Deal, and I think Dean Ornish. So the reason that I think it's it's easy to understand why it's so down about oil. When you do, as uh, Robert Vogel did, and uh, others in South America did, when you give patients olive oil, and then you give them the brachial artery test, you can see the injury that occurs promptly to the endothelium. And there have been several investigators who have done this. And also, if, when you think about it, the Mediterranean diet, which, of course, flourishes with oil, you have never seen a Mediterranean diet where you've had reversal of coronary artery disease. There's no question that the Mediterranean diet is better than the Western typical Western diet. But, that's, you know, but who wants to have a small stroke, uh, a mild heart attack? just a touch of uh, vascular dementia. In other words, I I think that uh, I try to set the bar pretty high, and I don't apologize for the fact because that's the way I think we get the results. Because I think increasingly you will find when you study and you look at oil, look at what happens to safflower oil, look what happens to all the different oils. I mean, there was just recently, what, the Minnesota coronary experiment, which was a study that was done over 30 years ago, And when they looked at the data again, there was that strange relationship where the when they gave the oil, there was a tremendous increase in the amount of uh, coronary disease.
0: Well, I know that obviously you have success with your program. There's no question that what you do in reversing disease is real. I do know though that there's still a legitimate controversy. Dean Ornish actually uses a little. I visited his program. Um, at UCLA, they have a Ornish Center there. And, for example, the Okinawan centenarians, they actually do add some oil to their diet. It's not a high amount, but they do. And the same with in Acciaroli, Italy, which has one of the highest concentrated centenarians. I just talked to a cardiologist who went there, and, and they add some oil. So I get where you're coming from. Your diet obviously works. And obviously, to reverse disease, we don't have an example of people adding oil to a diet, reversing it. And so I think that... But it's still a controversial area. I still... I still wonder.
1: Let me speak to that controversy one more time. And that is, I guess, if we all agree that it's the endothelial injury that initiates this disease, why is it that there are some of these examples you mentioned where they're able to have some olive oil? I'm sure they don't have a total absence of disease, but it's more modest. Well, it has been shown that if indeed you happen to be in a situation where you are eating a copious amount of green leafy vegetables that you can uh, abrogate on a brachial artery tourniquet test some of the injury that's being caused by olive oil so i will grant you that therefore if you happen to choose a culture where they are generously eating on a regular basis copious amount of green leafy vegetables and using a very modest amount of oil that is possible in that circumstance that although the oil is trying to injure endothelium that is abrogated by the the high amount of phytonutrients and bioflavonoids that are found in the green leafy vegetables.
0: Well, fair enough. I think that's something that I want to keep an eye on, not because of any other reason, because I just do see some cultures who do it and they live a long time. But you obviously, when you say reversal, see, I like the word reversal very much because most people just talk about, oh, cardiac wellness or prevention, but you've proven that you can reverse it. And I think that's actually a very powerful word that
1: there are eight ways to define cardiovascular disease reversal one is the angiogram two is the stress test three is a pet rubidium dipritomal scan four carotid ultrasound five pulse volume and then uh, six seven and eight would be things like angina claudication erectile dysfunction and the ninth one would be when you improve left ventricular ejection fraction so I think that there are many ways you can document reversal.
0: All right. Well, let's get into exact so people can know what the diet is. So it's essentially four food groups: beans or legumes, fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Correct. Well, uh, first of all, I want to define what
1: I eliminate because uh, the foods that I eliminate are the foods that I feel have been documented as injuring the endothelium. I'm an. I guess you would have to call me an endothelial type guy. <laughs> but, but, so what are the foods that injure the endothelium? Oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower, oil, sunflower oil, coconut oil, palm oil, oil in a cracker, oil in a piece of bread, oil in a salad dressing. Plus, anything with a mother or a face, meat, fish, chicken, fowl, turkey, and dairy, milk, cream, butter, cheese, ice cream, and yogurt, and any excess of sugary drinks, stevia, agave. Go easy on the honey, maple syrup, molasses. And I really am not a great fan for coffee with caffeine, and uh, but they can have decaf, or they can actually have tea with caffeine, but not coffee with caffeine. There's a Italian and a Greek study that shows endothelial compromise in that situation. Now, what are you going to eat? All those marvelous whole grains for your cereal, bread, pasta, rolls, and bagels. 101 different types of beans, legumes, and lentils. All uh, those wonderful white and sweet potatoes, and red, yellow, and green leafy vegetables, and some fruit. Now, there is a wrinkle that I've added in the last five years that I will be happy to share with you if we've got a moment.
0: No, we do. Please do.
1: And that is that especially when the patients come to you with angina, because nothing will absolutely hook these patients and reinforce what they're doing, when they rapidly see you can vanquish their angina, So I get them to understand that, look, if they could somehow get their head inside that artery where there is the plaque burden, they would see that this is an absolute cauldron of oxidative inflammation. So we need antioxidants. No, do not go down to the health food store and buy a jug of pills that says antioxidant doesn't work. It's going to be harmful. No, you're going to get your antioxidants from food, okay? What food? What food? Food that is high in what we call ORAC value. O-R-A-C, oxygen radical absorptive capacity. So this means if you're having raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, blackberries on your oat cereal, that's great. However, that's not enough for me. I'm greedy for my patients to get rid of their angina. So six times a day, I need them to chew. Never smoothies, never juicing. I need them to chew a green leafy vegetable the size of their fist after it has been boiled five and a half to six minutes so it's nice and tender. And then they must, and this is a key, they must anoint it with multiple drops of a delightful balsamic vinegar. Why? Because the acetic acid has been shown to restore nitric oxide synthase, which is the enzyme within the endothelial cell responsible for making nitric oxide. So they're going to chew this alongside their breakfast cereal, again as a mid-morning snack, again with their luncheon sandwich, again mid-afternoon, again at dinner time, and of course I adore it when they have that evening snack of kale. What are they doing? All day long they are basking and they are bathing that oxidative cauldron of inflammation with nature's most powerful antioxidants. And literally in days, you can see their <laughs> the angina begin to diminish and often disappear.
0: And there, you've got them absolutely hooked. <laughs> well, I I've actually told that story to patients. I don't have quite the um, credibility, or what I should I say the. That I, I've done it myself. I haven't, but I, and they start laughing, you know. But I, I've said the same story, you know. Take the greens. I didn't say boiling, though. I actually said raw and chew them, and then put this the, the um, balls. Well, you vinegar. can
1: do the mid morning, the mid morning, and the mid afternoon. You can do with uh spinach in case you don't have, a, <laughs> a, you know, handy the the equipment. Yeah.
0: All right. Do you encourage flaxseed consumption or chia seeds?
1: Yes. And that's the way you get your. Uh, but I, the flaxseed, I they consume as flaxseed meal.
0: And how about? I know you don't recommend supplements. Do you recommend a B12 supplement or no?
1: Yep, I do. I do recommend B12. As far as D is concerned, I'd like them to, if they are concerned, have them get it measured. If they're in the low normal range, that's fine. If they're well, well below normal, maybe one or 2,000 international units, just enough to kick them up and, and hold them somewhere in the low normal range.
0: What does a, um, a typical Dr. Esselton breakfast, lunch, and dinner entail? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish my wife were here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm good at I'm good at washing dishes. No, I breakfast. I always have old fashioned uh, Quaker oats with uh, bananas and raisins, and I, I do like oat milk. Plus, I'll have uh, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, and blackberries, uh, all four. And uh, I just think that the uh, there's there's so much in the way of phytonutrients in the berries that are they really are pretty exciting at lunch usually it's a a Anne will make a rather adventuresome sandwich although in the wintertime we almost always thrive on these delicious vegetable soups that she makes and she her soups are so thick you could walk on them i mean it's just wonderful then plus the soup maybe plus a a bagel and then if it's if it's the summertime and we're going to have a sandwich it's usually Obviously, a toasted bread that doesn't have any sodium or or oil, something like Ezekiel. And you can spread on it. I always like the hummus, which does not have any olive oil or tahini. And then she may have some cut-up scallions, cut-up tomatoes, maybe a a slice or two of uh, avocado and a few other greens. And it's absolutely a steal the, the eye right out of your head. It's so good. Supper time, usually it will be, well, my favorite, of course, has always been beans and rice and a salad.
0: So tell me about nuts and seeds. So what's your view on them?
1: Well, the seeds, of course, are not a a problem if you're having chia seeds or flaxseed meal. I think you're you're making sure that, see, all the essential fatty acids, you're never going to be short on omega-6, but you want to be sure about your omega-3, and that really shouldn't really be problematic if you're supplementing with a little chia and uh, omega-3 and you're getting plenty of green leafy vegetables. I have no problem with don't have cardiovascular disease having nuts or having uh, avocado but once somebody has established cardiovascular disease I've been a little bit on the I guess on an island myself Uh, I'm pretty tough on not having nuts because the following. When I started this 32 years ago I kind of dug into the literature and it was rather frightening to me that Hegstead and Krzyzewski and some of those early uh, investigators, when they wanted to create atherosclerotic disease rapidly in the rabbit, they were using peanut oil. The rabbits weren't eating roast beef and cheese. They were getting peanut oil. And that just raised a huge, terrifying flag for me. You know, when you think about it, if it would probably be, don't ever tell anybody I said this.
0: <laughs> no, no one, I promise. It would prob-
1: <laughs> probably be okay to have, you know, a, a, a couple of walnut halves on your cereal. But, but if I ever said that, that's not what people would remember. They'd say, Doc, Dr. Esselstyn said nuts were okay. And have you ever known anybody who ate one nut? No, I... If I ever say nuts are okay, they're going to be in the glove compartment, they'll be in the bathroom... They'll be in the kitchen, the dining room, the hallway, the workbench. I mean, nuts are are highly addicting. And the next thing you know, then people are going to be scooping up handfuls of peanut butter, and then they start making these creamy cashew sauce for all their uh, evening dishes. I mean, it, it gets pretty wild. So right now, Kirk, I'm riding a winning horse in terms of being able, with people who are compliant with our program, we can absolutely annihilate this disease. And I am very hesitant to want to embrace nuts until somebody can show me a study where you have patients who are seriously ill with coronary artery disease, pour the nuts to them, and get reversal of disease.
0: I got it. So when, I'll let you go in just a second. I got one more area that I want no, to get no, to. No, I'm having fun. I'm going good. All right, all right. <laughs> so. Um, so one of the criticisms would be if you cut out that you're going to increase the risk of Alzheimer's disease and dementia, especially with reducing omega three fats. How do you? Oh no,
1: that's that's just that. Uh, <laughs> I think that's absolute baloney because when you look, where is where is the data on that? For heaven's sakes, that somebody is going to have Alzheimer's disease. The most the most uh, interesting, uh, I think, scholars of both vascular dementia, which is a significant part of uh, of the dementia that we see, and uh, the Alzheimer's, where we have all that beta amyloid and the uh, tau, uh, tau protein, all those seem to really have a, uh, their initiation, uh, it seems to me, that uh, from people who are eating the Western diet. So I think, if anything, you can uh, make the argument that these, uh, these people are, are as, as protected as it gets, against the vascular dementia. For instance, if you uh, recall in 2001, at the uh, stroke meetings in Miami, Megan Leary and her team from the West Coast, they had looked at over 5,500 MRIs of the brains of Americans. And what do they see at age 50? They begin to see these little white spots, which are, now we know, little strokes. But, you know, big brain, tiny stroke, not a problem. However, now you're no longer 50 you're 65 you find yourself more often than before saying sweetheart where did I leave the car keys well if you get through that suddenly you're 75 years old 25 more years of the good old American diet and you look at your sweetheart and you say sweetheart where did I leave the car so now it's getting serious now you're 85 and suddenly you wake up and you look at her and you say are you my sweetheart look I can't reverse that you don't suddenly wake up with dementia on your 85th birthday you work hard in all those preceding decades to lay the foundation for this disease.
0: Well, I'm actually, you know, that's an area, again, of debate. I'm actually going to the first uh, neurologist to show you can reverse early Alzheimer's is Dale Bredesen out of UCLA. And um, I'm just going to take a workshop with him. But he published an Aging. And I'll send you the link to the PDF. But he actually improved uh, Alzheimer's dementia in 9 out of 10 patients. And 6 out of 10 went back to work. But he also includes... The, the fame, a little bit of medium-chain triglycerides, which is a coconut oil, and also a little fish oil. Now, that's not the only thing he does, don't get me wrong, but that's that's part of it. So it's still not a, a slam-dunk deal, but I get your point. Obviously, then, you think if everybody did your diet way back when in the 60s, the Cleveland Clinic actually wouldn't really exist because there wouldn't be heart disease, there wouldn't be type 2 diabetes, there wouldn't be obesity, there'd be a heck of a lot less cancer. So if everybody does your your diet, we uh, turn medicine upside down. Correct?
1: You know, you you've absolutely just hit the nail on the head. This is what, in some of the some of the papers, you're totally correct, Kirk. Because when you think about it, when you eat to save your heart, you lose your obesity, you lose your risk for vascular dementia, you lose your risk for strokes, cure your hypertension, you cure your diabetes. The same thing happens if they have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or even multiple sclerosis and as well as allergies, asthma, GERD, and renal disease. So really it's we've never ever has medicine had in its toolbox such an absolute power and the thing that's frightening about it is it is so ridiculously simplistic and it doesn't cost money but in the end it's prompt It's powerful and it endures, and it really is going to turn medicine on its ear if it's done right.
0: Well, nothing changes. Well, I I shouldn't say nothing. Nothing changes with altruism only. I think that there's going to have to be an economic drive somewhere. (laughs) I don't. I mean, I think of that and uh, and science. When you were the keynote speaker at the cardiovascular nutrition conference, one of the things that impressed me is there was three or four cardiologists who were incorporating. This program, or your program, are pretty similar. Dr. Baxter Montgomery from Houston, Texas, Dr. Kahn from Detroit, and Dr. Alsved, um from Montefiore uh, Medical College in the Bronx. And then Ken Williams, the president-elect for the American College of Cardiology, spoke, and he's a, a plant-based guy. So you're making a, a pretty big impact into traditional areas. Well, it's fun.
1: It's, it's fun. I think the bottom line for all of us is to see if we can't have people, as they grow more senior, they don't have to look forward to these crippling chronic illness at all. Or they they can just maybe go a little bit slower, but they can live out well into their uh, to what we have what we call rectangularization of life's curve. You don't slowly lose your health as you peter out. You have excellent health right up until the time uh, that you're about to wrap it up.
0: Speaking of wrap it up, we'll wrap it up. But what are you doing now? to spread the word beside your workshop. I know you're doing things with Rip, your son, and your wife. Tell us what you're doing to spread the word.
1: Well, I still seem to be doing a, a fair amount of, of traveling, and I think that we'll try to write uh, another book. And I'm pretty capable of saying yes to people who want to interview like you do. <laughs> and, and so I think that's the, uh, the foundation, is you're trying to really get the science out. And the thing that would, to me, be so exciting would be two things. One. If we could get the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, <laughs> where all where all these uh, great chefs are bred and born, instead of giving them these Olympic gold medallions for making these menus that contain foods that are going to absolutely destroy our endothelium, have these guys who are cooks understand exactly how important whole food plant-based nutrition is. And since they are the ultimate masters of blending, uh, presentation, And taste that they can make menus that would just just steal the eye right out of your head, and I'll get these people to be able to make this at home. So people would know that they're giving up one pile of delicious food that's destroying them for another pile of delicious food that is going to be enhancing their health. And then the other thing that is absolutely critical for this to happen, we've got to have a change of leadership in the USDA because this really should start with the children and the school lunch program and the school lunch program to say it's a disaster is a compliment
0: I get it well dr esselton we're going to wrap it up any last closing yep. thoughts no i
1: want to i want to hear how your uh, interviews go with the uh with a fellow who's reversing Alzheimer's disease. I look forward to your to your presentations. Thanks, Kurt.
0: All right. Thanks, Dr. Esselstyn. And I'd like to thank yeah. you, the audience, for listening to this edition of the Staying Healthy Today show. And you can go to stayinghealthytoday.com and listen to it. It'll be up on iTunes, and there'll be links to Dr. Esselstyn's work. And again, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.